0: Night of the Hunter is about just going for it and letting your freak flag fly.
1: And, That's my favorite uh, reading I've ever heard of Night <laughs> of the, <laughs> <laughs> with the positive take on it. I love
0: that. Oh, you're in trouble now. What? Why? 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 Why?
2: Hello, and welcome to IMDb is Obsessed. We are actually going to be interrupting our regularly scheduled programming this week. Instead of talking about a new series or movie, we're going to talk about three really old movies that are available (laughs) to stream right now because we really, really love these classic (laughs) films. We think that you will too, and we want to tell you why you should watch them.
1: And we have a very special guest here joining us talking about these three films, and he brought along one of his favorites. Uh, This is the co-host of NPR's Pop, pop culture happy hour glenn weldon hi glenn hey guys thanks for having me great to be here
2: of course we're so excited to talk to you about these three movies that we have each chosen today
0: these are three great picks
2: yeah this was a fun watch list
1: Yeah, yeah we tried to get a little bit of everything too we tried to you know go all over the map i know there's
2: maybe
1: maybe something for everybody here i think so
2: you also recently just wrote a book about podcasts is that right
0: Yes. Uh, Here comes the plug. It's NPR's Podcast (laughs) Startup Guide, How to Create, Launch, and Grow a Podcast on Any Budget. And it's really made for people who have always been thinking that they wanted to start a podcast but just don't know where to to turn. Uh, I interviewed a hell of a lot of NPR podcast people, and they just have some really basic but incredibly – Useful advice, and uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to talk to all those folks.
2: That's awesome. I I believe I need that book.
0: <laughs> I don't believe y'all do. I think you guys are doing great.
2: <laughs> well, that's great. Everybody should check that out if you're curious about podcasting. Well. Without further ado, I think we can get into the first of our three picks here.
1: Yeah, Lizzie, this is your pick, so start us off. It is. And
0: uh, spoiler, it was also my first pick, but oh. uh, <laughs> oh. you, got to, you got to it first, so okay, well, uh, I'll have things to say.
2: Perfect. We can share this one. I, I will say the title of this show is obviously IMDb is Obsessed. I can admit that I am completely obsessed with Night of the Hunter. I mm-hmm. I have seen this movie probably every year since I was way too young to have watched wow. this. Um mm-hmm. So this is The Night of the Hunter, released in 1955, directed by Charles Lawton, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit here, Uh, based on the novel by Davis Grubb, starring Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, Lillian Gish, and of course, Sally Jane Bruce as Pearl, and Billy Chapin (laughs) as John. And this is available to stream on Prime Video. For a little bit of context on this movie, it is set during the Great Depression, and The Night of the Hunter follows a preacher slash serial killer- Which they tell you right up front, by the way, played by Robert Mitchum, (laughs) as he sets his sights on a bank robber's widow, her money, and eventually her children. So, well, okay, since this was also your pick, I'd actually like to hear from you first about why you gravitated towards this movie.
0: Well, I have forced so many people to watch this film. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I love every minute of it, every stylized to the gods minute of it. I love... (laughs) Mitchum going over the top and then somehow discovering a new top to go over. I love, <laughs> yeah. I love okay. Shelley Winter saying my whole body's just a quivering with cleanness. I love that. <laughs> yes. Mm. And the image the imagery of this film are just not concerned with your boring, normy life. They are expressionistic, mm-hmm. heedlessly so, larger than life. It is emotionalism in made into like shadows and light and angles angles in this movie. Uh, Yeah. Right. The acting styles are larger than life. It's like, it feels like a dream of being chased.
2: Yes. Where sometimes
0: the scenes connect to each other, not in you know, strict uh what we call story logic. <laughs> but because they're so they're at this heightened emotionalism that they connect like that the way dreams work. Uh man, I, I just I just love this film. You know, Charles Lawton, closeted gay man, I think he can see it in the I think he can see it. Mm. <laughs> I think it's there. I think it's there in every every frame. Yeah. But uh man, yeah. it's I just love how how uh blithely unconcerned with normal kind of storytelling tropes it is
1: I absolutely it is a mind blowing film for the time period for any time period, mm-hmm. yeah, and I love that that aspect of it so much that it is just so unconcerned with with what anyone else was doing, and here is just the like strict emotionality of these stories and these characters. I think beyond like the dream logic of it, it also reminds me kind of like classic Disney film storytelling. Like it's, it's, there's almost like an animated style to it when they're really traveling down the river and Mm -hmm. they're connecting between those scenes. It's all such, you know, vibrant graphical compositions that it does feel, Animated and some of it is almost animated in those weird sequences where they're using forced perspective and making it look like you know uh, they're floating uh,
2: in the stars and yeah well they're floating mm-hmm. the stars
1: or when they're when he's cresting the hill and they're actually yes. using a little person on a small horse to yep. make him look you know strangely large on the hill just these these ideas that Charles Lawton was so ahead of his time so far beyond what everybody else was doing and just really creating something that I will forever influence us, right? I mean, there's so much to take from this. There's so much to steal from it and, yeah, take and put in your film wholesale.
2: Yeah. I think the really incredible thing about this movie to me is that every time I watch it, I see new things that are reflected in movies that will come later in the sort Mm -hmm. of uh, movie timeline. Um, You're going to see an awful lot of Coen brothers in this movie. Definitely. It's probably the biggest reference there. You'll even see... Something from Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. You'll notice the love and hate tattoos. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time was weirdly the first time I feel like I noticed that that shot of Shelley Winters when she's backlit and there's all the fog, and she's looking up at the window, and there's a street lamp. I was like, well, no, that looks like The Exorcist. I mean, no, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah.
1: Cleaning,
0: yes. Cleaning. It's so, so yeah. good. It's so
1: good. And so much fog. <laughs> so much fog <laughs> yeah.
2: everywhere. Yeah, David Lynch, everything. And the song uh-huh. Alex was just singing, of course, you may also recognize because it appears in tons and tons of movies as well, frequently as a reference to The Night of the Hunter. First Reformed, if you, any of you saw that, mm-hmm. Promising mm-hmm. Young Woman. They were actually watching it, I believe, at one point. Yep. The list just goes on and on and on.
0: And you watch this film and you can't help but think Charles Lawton never directed anything else. I know. Because this film was reviled. Yep. This film was a flop uh, financially and also, and as a film critic, I, it's, it's kind of heartening to me to go back and read how much this film was panned, how yes. wrong the critics were. How short-sighted and normy and I like Ike and (laughs) just like they were it was such a a time for for exactly not this kind of heedless emotionalism. It was a time for being buttoned up and stayed and Mm -hmm. conformist, and and that's what this film is a is a rebuke to, and they just couldn't take it. So many short-sighted, stupid Reviews. It got rediscovered, but man, if he if he could have if he could have just kept directing, that would have been great.
2: I know, and it's so sad also because if you're not familiar with who Charles Lawton was, he was a huge movie star in the 30s and 40s. Famously played Quasimodo in the 1938 Hunchback of Notre Dame. As Glenn was saying, this was his first and only film that he ever directed. It is really, really incredible, and he was just so personally crushed by the critical and commercial response to it that he did not ever try directing again. Um, they even said, I was watching like a featurette from, I think Lillian Gish and Robert Mitchum were talking about working on this movie with him. And mm-hmm. Lillian Gish said that like, they used to give him suggestions about scenes and he would be like, oh no, do you not like what I'm doing? And he was so sensitive that she was like, we stopped giving him suggestions because what he was doing was so beautiful and we, he just had no faith in himself. Wow. And that makes me so Ugh. sad.
0: It's tough to hear. Yeah.
2: But a really, really, truly incredible. Also, like, this is a directing debut. This looks mm-hmm. like somebody's magnum opus.
0: Absolutely. It seems like something yeah. someone would build to, not just kind of start, start to open the gate. But it is so idiosyncratic and unusual. Uh, but it doesn't seem necessarily that way now because so many people, as you mentioned, Lizzie, have been um, borrowing from it for so long.
2: It's really wild. I would urge you to watch this movie and try and pick out all of the influences that you see because you're going to see a ton. He also did pass away before the movie really started to gain the Mm -hmm. appreciation that it has now, as did James Agee, I believe, who wrote the screenplay. So, oh, I hope they're looking down and realize how much we love it. I guess the last thing that I'll talk about here is Robert Mitchum in this movie. Mm -hmm. He is so... For someone who early on in his career was, I believe, considered a a sex symbol, which that still kind of blows my mind.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But um, Mm
2: -hmm. he, he goes all in on this part in a way that he is menacing, but he's also a total buffoon at certain points. Like it is such a strange and really like unabashed performance. I, Glenn, I don't know if you have anything to say about Robert Mitchum in this one, but.
0: No, but this is what I think of when I think of Robert Mitchum for a host yes. of reasons. But I think this is a, a, an example of the perfect blend of part and actor, uh, mm-hmm. because I I f I've I can't imagine anybody else doing this, and I can't imagine anybody doing it as unself consciously yes. as Robert Mitchum does. <laughs> right. It's so it's so big, but so good.
1: Yeah, to be I mean, you were saying he was a sex symbol, and mostly in this movie you see him refusing yes. his wife's advances Which, in a time where that was not something that people were doing. You know, having the wife character also say, I just don't want a husband. Yeah. You know, this is so mm-hmm. the sexual politics of this film are are so ahead of their time, I guess, is the but in strange ways that nobody was talking about. I can see why, you know, people just looked at this and said, I d I don't know where to I don't know what to do with this.
0: Yeah. yeah. And to viewers of the time, you know, sometimes a switchblade is just a switchblade. Not in this movie. No. <laughs> not when he's
2: ejecting it from his pocket while sitting in a strip club. Yeah. That's <laughs> that seems yep. to be something else.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah.
2: Um so speaking of Robert Mitchum, there's actually an interesting connection to the next movie that we are going to talk about. Robert Mitchum shockingly was not the first choice to play the preacher in *The Night of the Hunter*. That was Gary Cooper, huh. who is the star of the next film we're going to talk about. Alex's pick, *High Noon*. Now, Cooper yes. passed on uh, *The Night of the Hunter* because it was afraid he was afraid that it would tarnish his good guy image. I think probably validly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: Good move there. <laughs> yeah. Good pick, Gary. Yeah. Listen to your agents, Gary.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do the more heroic role. Let's let's instead go with High Noon. Yeah. This is his 1952 movie. It is available to rent uh, on Prime Video and other services. This is actually in a low point in his career. He actually needed he needed a win, and surprisingly- mm, uh, He got it. This, yeah, this movie would come around and be something really special. Maybe not at first. We'll go into the synopsis. In the Old West, Marshal Will Kane's combination wedding and retirement party is ruined when the baddest outlaw he ever sent to the gallows, Frank Miller, has just been pardoned and is returning to town on the high noon train. The Marshal needs to raise a posse to defend the town. He spent his entire life cleaning up, but will the town stand behind Kane? This is starring, as we said, Gary Cooper. He's Will Kane. Grace Kelly uh, in her breakout role as his new bride, Amy. Um, very uh, May-December romance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's, he's 500
2: <laughs> years old. I, I do just want to call that out at yeah, the
1: top. Yeah, and in pretty bad shape as <laughs> yeah. well. And she's uh, a blushing bride of, what, 20, I think, Maybe, at the time. <laughs> yeah, pushing
2: 19.
1: <laughs> yes. There's uh, Lloyd Bridges, father of Jeff and Bo, as Kane's deputy, Harvey. Katie Herrado as the saloon owner, Helen Ramirez. Ian McDonald is the outlaw, Frank Miller. Miller, and in his gang, you get the Western mainstay Lee Van Cleef as uh, mm-hmm. one of the gang members, yeah. who I just love so much. With yep. zero playing lines. against type, not really playing against no. type. <laughs> no, <laughs> they wanted him for a different type. They wanted him for the Lloyd Bridges role, mm-hmm. but as soon as they saw that hooked nose and that mm-hmm. that glint in his eye, they knew that he was destined to play a bad guy in westerns for the rest of his career. Well, <laughs> fun
2: fact on that: they when I was looking up this movie because I was not familiar with it prior to this, um, they actually they wanted him, as Alex said, for Lloyd Bridges' character, but he refused to get his nose quote-unquote fixed, and so they relegated Mm -hmm. him to a non-speaking part in the outlaw gang. And of course, not fixing his nose would end up being the best thing he could possibly have done. (laughs) Right.
1: I know that... Lizzie, you're not the only person who's told me this, that Westerns aren't necessarily your favorite genre. But I did want to pick this. I love Westerns. I was raised on Westerns. I love cowboys all my life. You know, uh, this was just something that tapped into me for whatever reason. I love, you know, an easy, good and bad story. The thing about High Noon, though, is it is an 84 minute slice of life from this town, and it's a story of love and liberty. It's not just cowboys with six shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a true test of the human soul and whether it's braver to save oneself and one's family than it is to fight for justice. Mm-hmm. And like I said, plus there are some cool cowboys that shoot each other with six shooters and fall off of balconies, which is cool, <laughs> right? I mean, there's On something for everyone. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Glenn, where do you stand with Westerns? Are you a fan of the genre? Do you not like this necess-
0: one? Not necessarily, no. But, and it has been, I'll admit, it's been a long time. It's been a minute since I've seen this film. But that doesn't matter because its imagery, this is kind of like Night of the Hunter, its yeah. imagery has been absorbed through cultural osmosis, right? Mm -hmm. So it's background noise now. I mean, that climactic gunfight is so iconic that you can kind of forget that the movie that leads up to it is really talky mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of weirdly subversive, which is one of the yes. reasons John Wayne hates this film. Hates uh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's about the failure of society, the failure of community to function the way that we still tell ourselves it does. And especially in the 50s, they mm-hmm. were all into telling themselves, this is what we all contribute to the common good. That's the American way. Mm. Think about it is, if the individuals who make up that society are looking out for themselves, everything collapses. Yep. And that's what this yes. film is, is really about.
1: Yeah, and affronting that idea completely, and it's you know it's comes from the writer Carl Foreman, who was blacklisted and in part mm-hmm. driven out of Hollywood for being suspected of being a communist, mm-hmm. uh, and in part that was done by like we said the King of Westerns himself John Wayne. Um, the Duke despised this movie because he knew it was an allegory for blacklisting, which was going on at the time, which Foreman was a victim of, and you know it was the story of the community turning their backs on when they were challenged to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and it's just it's so so sad that this was you know how we just started to attack each other go after each other in in a really inspiring piece of, of storytelling, you know, like that this would be something that would rub somebody the wrong way for having these, you know, communist ideals, but it's about community. Mm-hmm. It's about the good part of the commune word, you know, mm-hmm. that, that John Wayne <laughs> should, should be a part. That is a part of the American way. That No, you, you Alex, the American its... <laughs> way is to
2: stand alone by right, yourself yep. and not help Rugged anyone right. else. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, this definitely, I had not seen this before and I, I watched this for, for this episode and I really liked it. I was very surprised and like, and said, again, if you're not a fan of Westerns, this is like barely a Western. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's set in the West, but then I the only like gunfight takes place over the last 10 minutes of the movie. That's it. The rest mm-hmm. of the time is very much interpersonal politics in this small town. And it does take on an interesting and sort of weightier meaning, I think to watch it now with the idea that you expressed about like when the individuals in a community do not take care of the rest of the community, the community collapses, I feel like we have seen elements of that uh, happening over the last couple of years ourselves. And at the end of this movie, I was yelling at my TV, I think, in a way that, you know, is usually reserved for horror movies. But (laughs) I, I was so mad at all the people who would not help him. And that
1: aspect of it is, like Lynn said, it's just been completely, you know, absorbed by our culture. Like, you see that moment in superhero movies all the time where it's yep. like, yeah. okay, like, we got to stand up against these bad guys. Okay, well, I'll join you. Who else is on the team? Well, it's just us right now. Like, I've seen that scene in, like, a hundred different movies, and it's here in High Noon, and it's so much weightier here because mm-hmm. it is about that breakdown of American society, mm-hmm. but... It's something that yeah now is just used as kind of like a a funny moment, a funny scene, a funny shorthand.
0: I love taxonomy, so I think is this the first revisionist western? Really, is this the first
1: mm. like where, where, where the 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 myth making of westerns kind of gets undercut a little bit? It's it's definitely one of the earliest where they were subverting the genre in that way and having the the hero say. I'm scared mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. saying, do you think I want any of this? Like where he's not saying like, I'm a hero and I'll do anything to save the day. It's like, no, this is what's right. right. I don't want to be right, but this is what is right. Like I'm not fighting for, I'm right. I'm fighting for what is right. I don't know that that had really been in another Western or if it was, they really had to sneak it under John Wayne's nose, like they would with Red River, not too mm-hmm. <laughs> around that time as well. Mm-hmm. You just have to subvert the things as soon as he figures out what it is, he's going to be pissed about it. And, <laughs> you know, ask that these people not work in Hollywood anymore. I was yep.
2: also so impressed by the women in this. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Grace Kelly, we know, and you know, she's stunning, stunning and, and absolutely lights up the screen. But the person who I was not familiar with who I found myself spending hours researching after watching this was Katie Harado. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, why is she not a bigger deal? Like, I mean, I unfortunately, I know why. It's that she is a Mexican actress who came to prominence in the 50s, which is remarkable in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. But she really, like, she should be studied. Her role in this should be studied. I, the way that she carries the screen and the way that they show a woman saying, like, don't touch me if I tell you not to touch me. When I was watching that, I was like, whoa, I don't know that I've ever seen that in a movie prior to like (laughs) 1990-something.
0: Yeah, her character gets to be a hell of a lot more layered than Grace Kelly's character gets Mm -hmm. to be, uh, even though Grace Kelly is the ostensible co-star. I just love that performance and I love that character because, as you say, Lizzie, it's not something we see in movies at this
1: time. The only other thing I wanted to bring up about this is that it is just a masterwork of editing. They turned uh, they turned around the first cut of this with an editor, uh, Harry W. Gerstad, and producer Stanley Kramer and director Fred Zinnemann were not happy with how the the film was coming together. And they brought in Elmo Williams, who won an Oscar for this. And he was the one who really figured out how to pace it with that real time mm-hmm. and take it so that it feels like it is told in an 85-minute chunk of these people's lives. Yeah. It's really – there's some collapsing of time in the beginning and then it's really the back 60 minutes of it are just one continuous time frame of what is happening in this town mm-hmm. and yeah that's all El- elmo williams figuring that out and it's it's really if you are a fan of editing or if you're interested in editing watch this film it teaches you how to put these things together and how to make just one hell of a gunfight at the end there too like mm-hmm. like we said it's it's it builds to that it takes a long time to get there but once it does it's such an awesome payoff
2: yeah totally. Yeah, I really love this. Thank you for thank you for making me watch this, Alex. <laughs> and hey, I knew
1: if I was gonna get a Western in there, at least pick a short one. Yeah. Because yeah. I Seriously? wanted to do something like once upon a time in the West, which maybe is my favorite, but uh, I was gonna spare you the near three hour <laughs> runtime.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, I think we can move on to our third movie, which was Glenn's pick. And I'm so glad you picked this. Uh, it is Anti-Mame, released in 1958, directed by Morton DaCosta also based on a novel, and starring Rosalind Russell, Forrest Tucker, Coral Brown, and Fred Clark, among others. This is available to rent on Prime Video and several other services.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's totally worth doing. And we have to be careful here. We must remind your listeners that we are not talking about the 1974 musical MAME, starring Lucille Ball. (laughs) Do not get it twisted. You will regret it if you do. Lucille Ball was a genius, Not so much in her song stylings. She was (laughs) 62 years young when she made that film, and uh, it sounds like she started smoking at age two. So (laughs) it's like
1: out
0: the holly. It's not. Don't do it. It's a bit of anti mame here. Yeah, a
2: little bit of a Rex Harrison talk sing situation. Totally, (laughs) totally, totally, totally.
0: Yeah, but anti mame is a film about a smart, funny, uh, fiercely independent, fearlessly resilient woman, kind of a larger-than-life uh, diva, played by Rosalind Russell, as you mentioned, who is the classic Hollywood brassy broad. You know, mm-hmm. you want a brassy broad, you can't get Joan Blondell, you get Rosalind Russell. <laughs> yes. The idea of this movie is that she takes her young nephew under her wing and is determined that he grow up to be just as bold and interesting and fearless and as cultured as she was. This movie is beloved in my ho- household. We Every New Year's Day, we make uh, a stiff... Uh, picture of mimosas oh. <laughs> or six and we watch it it is gorgeous it is filmed in both technicolor and technorama what's the difference what do they mean i don't know couldn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like, very bright <laughs> and there's <laughs>
1: kaleidoscopes
0: going on to yeah. show you off all Just those beautiful right out the gate techni- right out the yeah. gate yep <laughs>
1: technorama. Uh, the
0: costumes the yes. sets uh, mm. The sets the, we get one like her her apartment Mame's apartment Manhattan apartment I mean even that set mm-hmm. changes over the course of this film it's really brilliantly acted it's cleverly written and it is endlessly. Quotable, Not yes. just like the uh, the aphorisms like, you know, live, 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 life's a banquet and most poor stuckers are starving to death. Everybody knows that one. But my husband and I have picked up random things. Uh, her friend Vera Charles is played by the great Coral Brown. And at one moment she's looking into a mirror and she's kind of slapping her face and she says, oh, how can I face the theater guild? We <laughs> see each other a lot. Or the moment when Mame is in bed recovering. She's got a hangover. The kid comes in, opens the window, and she says, Child, how can you see with all that light?
2: Yes. Uh, It's just –
0: it's so good. It's so good. And then there's this other random thing that we quote for no reason. It's just – the kid grows up. He goes to college. One of his college roommates tells him he's got a package, and he goes, "Hey Dennis, you got a package? <laughs> hey Dennis, hey Dennis." I <laughs> uh, love it. I uh, fell in love with this as a kid because I caught it on television, and Rosalind Russell is just a force of nature, and she yeah. slides into this role. This is again Mitchum, the preacher. Rosalind Russell, Auntie Mame. Yes, I have impressed it upon countless people, and that's a bigger commitment than Night of the Hunter because this is two and a half hours. Yes, yes. But when they blanch, if if I tell them that, I I, I say, look, if at any point you're not enjoying this, just hang on, because in about 20 minutes, it's going to become an entirely different movie. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Because uh, it started, it was originally a play. Mm -hmm. And you can so tell that because... Uh, there is a definite three-act structure. And, yes. and you'll know when the act break comes because the music swells, the lights go down, and there's a lingering spotlight on Rosalind Russell's face. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so it's all you can see on the screen for a few seconds, then the fade to black. It's not subtle, but I love it. I love oh, that Oh, I love
1: those transitions. They were such a fun change of pace that I was not expecting. And it really, it would, there's so many good one-liners and those would often like punctuate either a great one-liner or a moment. Mm -hmm. that were like lingering in, which just gives you something really to like hold on to and think about with this movie and just like appreciate as you go through it. And I I was surprised to to hear you though, that you said that you had the strong mimosas every New Year's Day. I figured you would have black coffee in a sidecar, you know, just like breakfast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yep, Yep. next time.
2: Or a daiquiri made with honey. Yes. (laughs)
1: Honey.
2: Daiquiris are not clear. (laughs) I had a lot of questions about those beverages that that horrible man made. Yes. I think we have to call out one other line that. Alex and I both were were laughing about quite a bit, which is how bleak was my puberty. <laughs> how bleak was my, oh my puberty? <laughs> <laughs> that just,
1: uh, Agnes Gooch. Oh is my god! Uh, my new. I mean, I, I, you got me to watch this, Glenn. Mm-hmm. I had not seen this. I oh love Rosalind Russell from uh, His Girl Friday. Sure, uh, a movie I've seen a thousand times, and just you know, try to soak up every single one liner of that. This is her just grand stage give her every single funny line every single moment and then also find these really funny little side characters to throw some one-liners to as well and Agnes Gooch is this kind of I feel like, you know, uh, pro, we, what do we proto Debbie Downer yes, kind of totally. every every every, you know, uh low status just like just uh, you know, a punchline kind of character that Rachel Dratch has played on yes. SNL throughout the years. Yep, yep, yep. But she's so funny and she just comes in and is, and is, you know, there to help Mame with her very important novel and and just as it comes to her and goes, "I'm your sponge." And i was just like, I love
2: this woman. She's so
1: good. She's so silly. Yeah, it is Relentlessly silly for the two and a half hours and so joyous in that. I, I, I loved it.
2: Really funny. I mean, like, laugh out loud funny, which I feel like... Still
1: hits. Yes. These jokes still work. They really do. It's not a passé kind of comedy style.
2: No. And I also, I love that, like, again, I imagine there were elements of this movie that probably were somewhat controversial when it came out. I mean, you know, she is is radically progressive from the time, whether it's her pantsuits underneath caftans, (laughs) which I loved, all very sparkly. Or, you know, her really going after and just trolling these incredibly sort of evil wasps that show up at the
0: end. I stepped on the ping pong ball. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
2: That girlfriend. Yeah, she she really wants to make sure. I, I think she goes out of her way to make sure that her, her nephew does not grow up bigoted. And that yes. is definitely addressed heavily in this, particularly when he decides to marry a truly awful uh, girlfriend at the end. Um, and boy, what an excellent piece of casting to find that lady. Cause...
1: <laughs> Gloria. Beautiful woman, but you just hate her on site. Immediately. Totally do. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a progressive film. Except,
0: uh, yes. Content warning for your uh, for your for your listeners here. You, you don't get five minutes into this thing before you are faced with a one-two punch yes, of a yes. weird kind of pan-Asian racism. It's like, yes, it's this, The sure. door knocker that's a Chinese dragon, and the soundtrack has the gong and the that's not great. No. Nobody's saying that's mm-hmm. great. No. Then the door is opened by a Japanese butler who's got a high-pitched giggle and broken English. So it's like, okay, 1958. Oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it it does it. hit
2: you in the face quite quickly. (laughs) it's
0: too soon it's it's like immediately but that is some lazy racism it's like pick a country i know you can't do that but man uh everything else about the film is just so uh smart and vibrant and alive and still still funny still yeah still jokes that just as you guys mentioned just land
1: and land and land love it and after Rosalind russell has just spent you know two hours ish delivering some of the funniest one-liners that she's ever, 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 be, you know, that ever been written, uh, we get that scene with Gloria where Gloria is coming in and saying just the most obnoxious, boring things that a person has ever uttered at a dinner table and Mame stops talking and she leaves these hanging dead silences in so the conversation funny. where she had always filled in the conversation, always kept it going, always kept it flowing, always kept it interesting and she just looks at this woman <laughs> and it just can't bring herself to even say anything to her and it's it's- maybe my maybe the funniest part maybe the the hardest (laughs) I was laughing through this very very funny movie yeah yeah
2: also Rosalind Russell is another one that I feel like should get more recognition for the kind of work that she did I grew up watching Gypsy a lot which I mean that's Mm -hmm. I also almost chose that but again that is quite long and very sad but she did something very unusual I think and you know yes she was playing these more like tough women characters but she like wasn't afraid to let them be really unappealing in some ways. There's shades of that in Mame, although she still comes across, you know, very enigmatic. But particularly when she, when she does take on the role in Gypsy, she's, she's a nightmare. But she's like so good at it. I just really love her.
0: Right. She is worth, worth your love. Yes. <laughs> she's amazing. So I was trying to find a through line to these films. And I think they're all in different ways subversive in a good way, right? Night of the Hunter is about just going for it and being uh, letting your freak flag fly. And, That's my favorite uh,
1: reading I've ever heard of. That, <laughs> yeah. With the positive take on it, I, I love
0: that. And High Noon is really about uh, you know the the fragility of society and uh, how how selfishness can make everything go go to hell. And Auntie Mame is about you know life's a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. Uh, there's a
2: <laughs>
1: through line there. You got to squint, but it's there.
2: <laughs> yes. Totally.
1: And if nothing else, they're in the they're all 1950s films, so you'll right. get a great 1950s film education. That's true. Uh, from a very odd time in filmmaking where things were really changing mm-hmm. and really trying and pushing boundaries.
2: For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining. Before we go, actually, is there any show that you are obsessed with right now? Anything currently on TV or any movie?
0: Uh, well, we were talking about it before uh, taping. Severance yeah. on Apple TV Plus is is so good. It's so singular and of itself. It is not like anything you've seen before. And instead of being this kind of broad, lazy corporate satire, uh, exploiting workers, it is about the weird world that it builds and that just yes. doubles down on. And it is so imaginative and so sharply observed. Uh, readers, listeners should know it's nine episodes. You will be screaming at your television at the conclusion of the season mm. because it is. it does end on a cliffhanger. But if you can do it, if you can handle that, then then do it but cuz it's it's worth it
2: yeah we love it we talked yeah. about it last week in last week's episode um, and yeah we are we're completely obsessed with severance as well and I really hope it gets I hope it gets more um, it's gotta it's gotta, yeah. It's
1: gotta. <laughs> yeah they can't leave us like this yeah I think no. the best we could come up with of comparing it to anything is it's an episode or it's a season of The Office as written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos yes. there you go <laughs> maybe Man. somewhere in that suit but really it's, it's nailed it all those things and a lot more <laughs>
0: yes it that totally is totally is
1: that's why I love it so much okay Okay, it was trying to figure out,
0: why why do I love this so much? And that's, you just name-checked the three. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) It's a holy trinity.
2: Well, I hope you guys talk about it on Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'd love to hear you all talk about it more. Uh, Of course, everybody, please make sure you listen to Glenn on Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is such a delightful, delightful podcast. I listen to it several times a week, and you should as well. And make sure you check out his book when you get a chance, which is NPR's podcast startup guide. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us.
0: My pleasure, guys. Loved it. Thanks.